2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in the first verse, says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Well, what were we, like 10 seconds into a message on giving and the first one went out the door? Um, Can you guys, I want to pray, but can you pull out your phones and put them on vibrate or off or whatever and pray for me and with me through the service today? I'll just tell you, honestly, I like to script things out For a couple of reasons. One, so I'll say all the things that I think the Lord has given me to say. And secondly, and probably most important, that I won't say all the things that I want to say or that that come out. And uh, uh, didn't do all that today. So if I pray for organized chaos, that, that means chaos is going on up here and in here. And I want the Lord to organize it and just have what he wants come out. So let's let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you so much uh, for you making a part of this body, Lord, and if it's a a long time or a first time, Lord, you you brought us here today, so we trust that you've got some stuff for us individually, you've got some stuff for us collectively as a church, and and Lord, really in these things, you reveal your heart to us, Um, a heart of gratitude, a heart of grace, Um, Lord, help us to get that uh, this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So starting out, just reading those first four verses, you can see that there's a transition in this book um, from where we've been. The first seven chapters are basically an expression of Paul's joy and gratitude for the church in Corneth. And he switches here to the topic of charitable giving. And that theme really carries through chapters 8 and 9. So if you're a pastor like me that usually teaches through the word verse by verse and chapter by chapter and page by page, this is like a dream come true, right? Because those of you that have been with us for a while, the last time we taught on this passage was probably five or six years ago, you know. So we don't have the opportunity to preach on the things that we want to hammer away or all of that. So there's a temptation when you come to a section like this, and I love going online and seeing guys that do teach through the Word of God, how they break their their passages up or their messages up, and these two chapters are like stretched into like six weeks, eight weeks sermon series so they can stay on topic. So if you'll bear with me a little bit um, this morning, I want to give some background, and then I want to try to tackle kind of the whole thing. You guys help me with this expression, preaching to the choir. What does that mean when you hear that? Well, you're preaching to the choir. What's that mean? We heard it already or we know it, right? More the secondary part, I think. Anybody else? On your side? side? Okay. It's sort of, yeah, like the people that are here for choir practice you know, are, are committed, they're here, they're doing it, they're serving. And if you want to blast them, 
They already get it. They're already on your side. You're preaching to the choir. You know, you, you need to be pre- preaching to the ones that didn't come today um, kind of thing. And, and honestly, that's really, I, I think we're so blessed to be a part of this church family. Um, okay, here's the unscripted part. And I'll get to the history and I'll get to the chapters and all that. But we, we just, well, we're still just a couple days away from finishing a roofing project here. And you guys know that need has been in existence since, this, since we bought the building. It was leaking when I came in to look at the building. And um, faithful brother Nick and I have been up there every single year, patching holes and all that. And um, mentioned the need, mentioned we were doing this and what it was going to cost and all that. We did not have the money and we didn't want to borrow the money. And really the elders got together and we prayed and we just felt like the Lord was telling us to just trust, you know, and... and obey. And I got criticized, believe it or not, um, for not, I won't say not begging, but not making it, not making the case known more, not, not expressing the need more. But the Lord knew the need, and this is his building, and this is his ministry. So we prayed, we made the need known, and um, miraculously, the Lord provided, you know, for that. Completely. Um, last weekend, I think our offering in this little church was $29,000, which completely covered the rest of the roof and all of the additions that we were worried about, almost to the penny. I haven't got the final bill yet, but literally. Now, so I'm preaching to the choir, you know, when it comes to this. And it wasn't just, there were some large gifts in there, but what was more amazing, I don't, I, don't, I don't get to see all that because I don't want to see all that. I don't want it to affect my heart or any of that, so I don't know what gives, who gives what and all that. Um, but, the, but the guys that count get to see those that have given from their means and beyond their means that are just stepping out in faith, trusting the Lord. And I, I know Pastor Jim was more blessed probably with some $50 gifts than, than larger gifts or things just that he knows that people were giving above and beyond. So... I don't, I don't need to break this up in a multiple weeks, you know. Um, now, let me ask you this. So if a, a board member, which helps, you know, deal with finance stuff, and, or somebody in leadership here were to critique or criticize me for not talking about giving enough, what might their motivation be for doing so? <laughs> Roofing project. There's a need Right? But what else? Individual growth. Okay. I, I thought you said gross. <laughs> I, I, okay, I, I don't want to... I, I, I saw a video last night of a pastor online um, making a need known. You know, and the need known was millions of dollars that they needed to continue the work of the ministry. Like, God is broke. And it saddens my heart when I see things like that. And, and honestly, yes, yeah, so the standard answer, if I'm sitting in a church, if I'm sitting where you are, and I'm being honest and the pastor asks, what might be the motivation of leadership or people like that saying, hey, you need to beg a little more, it'd be so we could get a lot more. You know, I mean, that's just truthful. That's what I grew up seeing. Um, but individual growth, that, that's the heart of those that, I'm preaching to the choir that get it, that have received the blessing of giving. You know, and even in our prayer this morning, you heard Nicole 
um, say, let's continue our worship this morning. And, and that's the desire of the Lord, that our giving would be worshipful. God loves a cheerful giver, right? A hilarious. That means like giving should be the most exciting part of our worship service. You know, like, yes, yeah, so oh, I'm glad they do it at the beginning and not the end, so I don't have to wait kind of thing. Um, that that would be our heart. And, and those of you that have done that and, and given sacrificially, understand the blessing and the individual growth. And, and I hope as a church, we do, as we've trusted on the Lord and waited on him and just like, hey, we're, we're down to the, the last of it. You know, our faith isn't in a loan, our faith isn't in a bank, our faith isn't in anything or anyone but you, Lord, and he's faithful. So he gets all the glory for that. Um, good thing I didn't have notes. I wanted to get through them. Um, so bear with me. I'm just going to give a little bit of history to this letter, and I'm going to give some uh, history on kind of us as a church, too. Uh, the first four verses that I read, Paul is talking about this gift. And like I said, the first seven chapters, he's talking about gratitude. And then he's talking here about this grace being bestowed on the churches, giving according to ability, giving according to beyond ability that they have. And it only makes sense as we read this, and there's this transition in this letter, if we use the Bible to explain the Bible. Like if we give a little bit of background to what's going on. So here's the history lesson. The, the birth of the church, the birth of the New Testament church, I mean, you guys have been through us, through the Old Testament with us, and um, Judaism, and worship in the tabernacle, and worship in the temple, and the animal sacrifices, and all that. Then Jesus comes, and makes the ultimate sacrifice, fulfills the old covenant on the cross, through his death, burial, and resurrection. And then he gives the great commission, and he tells the apostles to go into all the world and to make disciples. In Acts chapter 2, you guys can turn there if you want. We'll be there for a minute. We read about Peter. You guys remember the story about Peter, who at one point in his life was, I don't know how else to say it, a, a coward, and that he denied even knowing Jesus, right, to a, to a young girl. I don't even know him. He denied that as Jesus is going to the cross. And now a little bit later, in Acts chapter 2, we see that he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's emboldened, emboldened now that he's empowered by the Spirit of God. And he preaches this incredible sermon. I encourage you to read that in Acts chapter 2. Um, all I have time for this morning is I want to I read to you the result of that sermon. So starting in verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's our prayer, guys. When the gospel goes out, that it would affect men's and women's hearts, that they would recognize their need for a Savior. And that's exactly what happened here. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord God, the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized in that day about, how many? 3,000 souls were added to them. 
Talk about a church growth plan. 3,000 souls were added to the church, and that was really the birth of the New Testament church. It goes on in verse 42, which actually that, that single verse was our, our very first um, Bible study as a church, Acts 2.42. It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the word of God, and fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and, and had all things in common. Verse 45 says, And sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So get this. Say we're in a gathering like this, which is sort of like what they had there, upper room thing with like 100 people. Peter gives this message, and all of a sudden this turns into 3,000. And there's needs. And, and people have come from all over and they've gathered together and now they're a part of the church and they want to stay a part of this church. And they believe what the word of God says and they're ready for the Lord Jesus to come back at any time. So as there's need, as you have a need, I sell stuff. As I have a need, you sell stuff. And, and that keeps happening until we run out of stuff. You know, and there's... there's there's accumulated need then. It goes on in verse 46. It says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So you got 100, you got 3,000, and then every single day is they're meeting and they're doing the things that the Lord has instructed them to do. They're in the word of God. They're breaking bread or sharing communion. They're praying together. They're having fellowship. They're, they're in growth groups and stuff, you know? And, and, and the Lord is blessing that. And every day, numbers are being added to the church as they follow the instructions of the Lord and they go out the Great Commission and they tell other people about Jesus and they tell other people about their life now that they know Jesus and how that's changed. So the church is growing in size, but also in poverty, right? There's also financial need. And then to make matters worse, remember, Judaism was, was the religion, and now all these people have become Christians and they're following Jesus. So um, population grows, poverty grows, and along with that, persecution grows. Okay, So the church gets more and more persecuted by, in particular, if you look in um, Acts 7, this should be up on our board, I think. Acts 7, starting in verse 54. You might have to back up. I, there you go. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and gnashed at him with their teeth. Okay, so I've jumped way ahead. This part of our, our, the book of Acts is talking about Stephen, our very first deacon. Okay, and, and Stephen gives a message. And when they heard the things that Stephen says, it says the word of God cut their heart, pierced their heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. Let me try to do it, Ken. Um, well, bring me back to verse 55 if you can. Full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. 
and they cast him out of the city. All right, is it not changing when I do it? All right, right there, stay there. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. That was, that was the response this crowd had. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Who wrote the letter that we're supposed to be in today? Paul. Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the Apostle, right, when he got saved. So they laid Stephen's clothes down at the feet of Paul. This church that is growing and all that, loving the Lord and loving each other, is enduring this incredible persecution, and some of it is coming at the hands of Paul, or, or Saul of Tarsus at this time. Verse 59 says, And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Okay? Chapter 8 in Acts, verse 1 says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. He was all for it. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So they were scattered. So even the, the support they were receiving from one another, helping one, one another out, selling stuff, that diminished. And, and you guys know that the division between the Jews and the Gentiles continued on. So Apostle Paul now, years later, says this would be an incredible blessing if these Gentile churches from all over the region in, in Macedonia, um, northern region of Greece and Achaia, the, the southern region where the church in Corinth was, if they would gather together and, and take a collection for this church in Jerusalem, that would heal some of this division too. And it would provide for the needs of our brothers and sisters. So principles of giving, okay? And it'll make sense of these two chapters. Um, Old Testament, we have the tithe, right? What, is, any, what does tithe mean? Do you guys know what tithe means? Tenth. Okay, so in simple terms, if you've got 10 zucchinis, we're getting to that time of year, you give one to the Lord, right? You've got 100 um, blueberries, you give 10 to the Lord. You know, the tithe was a tenth. And that, that originated quickly. Um, you had to have 10 Jewish men in order to form a, what? Hmm? Synagogue. Right, in order to have a house of gathering. So if, if 10 men, if, if 10 families gave a tenth of what they had, then that provided for the priest, and then the tithe from the priest would provide for like the showbread and different things like that. So that's sort of where the tenth came from, the idea of that and giving. Now, there, there aren't a lot of things in the scripture that we're told to test God on, right? And, and this is where, where Pastor Jim talked about individual growth in faith. There is a passage in, in the book of Malachi, in chapter 3, that says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. 
Bring all the tithes to the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this. this. The Lord actually says, test me in this thing. Because I don't, I don't know where you guys are at because I don't see all of that. Um, giving was something, tithing was something that I didn't get when I was a young Christian. I didn't get the blessing of it. I got poverty. I lived in Maine. You know, I, I understood the struggle, but I didn't understand the blessing. Like when, when we read today about giving out of what we have and giving out of what we don't have, I, I gave out of what was left over. You know, and by compulsion, when a plate got passed and every, the guy next to me was putting something on it, and I don't know what the churches you grew, grew up in were like, but the church I grew up in had this big flat offering plate so you could see what everybody was sticking in there. We as a church, when we started as a church, um, just had that box in the back. You know, it's like, it's part of worship between you and the Lord. Stick it in the box if the Lord leads you to. And that was it. And we didn't take an offering. And honestly, it was the last time we were teaching through Corinthians where he talks about on the first day of the week when you gather to, to do it as an act of worship that we said, you know, we're, we're, we're not being obedient to this. And honestly, I was probably prideful about, hey, we don't take an offering. You know, we just have a box on the back, an agape, a love box, and the Lord takes care of everything. Um, and we started participating together as an act of worship. That's why you heard Nicole pray, you know, we're going to continue our act of, of worship, and we're going to receive the giving, not take. <laughs> you know, we don't take anything, but we receive these gifts of, of worship. So we, we did transition when we went through this the last time, and we, I ordered those clown bags that we passed around so nobody can see what anybody else is putting in, and there's no metal in the bottom, so if you put a, a, a nickel or a dime in there, it doesn't cling so everybody knows. You know, we try to do that as um, discreetly as possible, and didn't start taking an a offering on Wednesday nights. You know, we don't do that for our midweek service. Just we want to be obedient to the word. But this is a thing that the Lord says, test me in, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out um, for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. So the passage I mentioned about on the first day of the week, we read that in 1 Corinthians 16, uh, verse 2. It says, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And that was Paul's instruction to these churches back in 1 Corinthians. This offering, this idea of taking this offering for the Jerusalem church had, had actually been brought up a year ahead of time. And, and Paul said, I want you to pray about this. And I want the Lord to lead you at, your, at home so when I come, there's no weirdness, there's no compulsion, there's no guilt, there's no manipulation. You know, the pastor's here now, or, or the founding pastor, or Paul's here, so everyone, everyone's given, right? Paul didn't want any of that. But when we gather, it's an act of worship to be able to do it, he says. And then another verse I mentioned, and we'll get to, maybe, 
Um, chapter 9, verse 7 says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, that's the, the idea that we would give with hilarity and joy. So we've got the Old Testament tenth or tithe. How does that translate in the New Testament? I get asked this a lot. Like I said, I'm preaching to the choir, but for the benefit of those that haven't had teaching on this, it, I encourage you to read that, that passage in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4 actually covers it. talks about that it, our gifts should be proportional, our gifts should be regular, our gifts should be generous. You know, all those things are in there. As the Lord lays on our heart, um, the New Testament, I'll be um, straightforward with you, the New Testament doesn't command a tithe from the people in the church. It, any mention of it that's in there, um, when it's done correctly and not for show, is always a positive mention. But it's, this is the New Testament standard, as the Lord purposes in your heart. Now, personally, I believe the tithe is a good starting point. You know, that's a good measure. Some of us don't know, and I get asked questions, well, do we tithe on our net or our gross and, and all of that? And what was interesting is I just finished a book called The Heavenly Man, and it's about the guy that, that was the head of the um, home church movement in China. He was talking about in China when people give to the church and people give to the ministry of the Lord, they give all. You know, and just his shock as he started coming to the U.S. and all of that, that it seems like American Christians, whether it's giving or, or anything else, it's what's the bare minimum? You know, what's the minimum standard I can, I can do or give or how much can I get away with and all that? And just the difference of the heart, and he relates it to persecution and suffering. But New Testament standard is to give as the Lord purposes on your heart to pray and to seek him on that. And I'll tell you, my family, we, we give um, tithe and, and give offerings beyond that. I believe that's what the Lord has called us to do. Um, the only thing that I do know here as far as giving is the people that are um, participating, carrying the baskets to receive your giving. That's one of the things I've asked Pastor Jim is I, I want those people to be people that give. You know, I don't want people that don't give to participate and receive in that. So, um, but our, our, like I said, preaching to the choir. Let's move on. Go to, uh, if I don't do it here, um, the beginning of our chapter again. Yeah. Okay, let's go through this, and I will try to move quickly. But, Okay, moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. So Paul's writing this to the Corinthian church and he's talking about another church. So in a sense, he's sort of comparing here of what this poor Macedonian church had done compared to what this wealthy Corinthian church may do. But it's not for guilt and it's not for manipulation. Look at verse 3. He says, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, so they gave, up, gave out of their ability what they had, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. 
So what I want you to get out of verse 4, Paul didn't go there and say, okay, guys, pony up. You know, it's time for, for the collection for the Jerusalem church. Paul went there and received this offering and said, look, I, I, I know where you guys stand financially. This, this is too much. You know, he wasn't begging them. It says that they were imploring us. So Paul said, no, no, that's, that's, that's more than necessary. That's amazing. That's, that's, that's more than your share. They implored us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Guys, that's, that's too much. And they say, no, 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 don't, don't rob this. Don't rob us of this personal growth and this personal blessing. We want to be used by the Lord in this. And, and not only as we had hoped, verse 5, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. And I'll tell you, that's, that's the key to giving. Um, Jesus said, I, I think it's in Matthew chapter 6, where your treasure is, there your, your heart is also. That's, that's true, guys. I don't, I don't know if... I've I've heard that examine your checkbook. That's what you love, but that applies to more than our our giving. You know, I know there's a lot of people that say, "Well, I I can't afford to give right now," and if I were to sit down and and look at their budget, and we, I don't do that. Um, there are churches that do turn in your your uh, tax returns so we know how much you should be giving. But but what we give our money to indicates where our hearts are. You know, what, what, what comes first? Who comes first? And it applies to more than just our money. You know, we'll see here, Paul talks about, hey, you guys said you were going to do this thing, and I don't want you to be embarrassed about not doing this thing. But how we give of our finances, of our time, of our service, shows where our heart is. So Paul actually says they gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God, So we urged Titus, verse 6, that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all diligence and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. Now, some people say Paul's being sarcastic, praising the the Corinthian church in this way. You guys are awesome in all these things, so make sure you're awesome in this also. Or you say you are, so do so in this, but... I think Paul says what he means through this. And he's seen growth in this church. And he's seen blessing in this church. And complete this grace in you at all. Verse 7, but it, I'm sorry. Verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. So Paul's saying, I, I'm not commanding this offering from you or demanding that's compulsion, right? That's your government that does that. That's taxation. When we demand or we take or we steal. Um, and Paul's saying, not by commandment, but I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. Is that fair for Paul to say? That, that your giving or not giving is a, is a test or a measure of your love? Maybe, maybe we should save that for growth group. But just ask yourself that. Is that... Is that a fair assessment by Paul? To say, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. 
Can our giving actually be a reflection of our love? And think beyond money, but our service, can that be a reflection of our love? If we say we're going to do something or we sign up to do something, and then it comes our turn to do it and we don't do it because we're doing something else, is it fair to say, oh, maybe I chose this or loved this more? Sometimes it is, huh? Think of somebody else, not yourself. I think it's fair. I think it's fair when we say, I, don't, I can't give. And this, is, this is the only thing I'm going to... I think this is the only thing that I'm going to say that could come across as being harsh today. But I don't think a lack of giving is ever a lack of means or an inability. I, I think it's more a lack of faith. That sometimes we need to pray, Lord, give me the faith. You think of the, the woman with the, the, the two coins. And, and she gave everything that she had, trusting that the Lord would meet her needs. You know, it's not, it's not the amount. We see that in the Word. It's not the amount. The Macedonians didn't, didn't give anywhere near what the Corinthians had the ability to do. But they, they gave from their heart. And, and the thing is, Verse 5, you don't have to go there, but verse 5, you guys got your Bibles. Not only had we, as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. And then their giving was just a reflection of that. I had a neat conversation with a young man last week, and he was talking about exposure to church or different things, and everything that he did used to be because he thought he should do that, or he was scared not to. You know, all religious and legalism, but now there's, there's gratitude you know, and there's joy and he wants to in a response, understanding what the Lord has done for him. And that's changed everything. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, when was Jesus rich? Before he became a man, right? He left, descended from heaven, right, to come down here and take on humanity. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago. This is Paul hinting back to, hey guys, you said you wanted to be generous. You said you wanted to participate in this offering a year ago. Um, But now, verse 11, you must also complete the doing of it. Do we sometimes have good intentions or or are moved and something sounds really good, but then when it comes time to do it, it's like, "Eh, I don't want to go, or I don't want to do that. Paul's saying, you guys got the talking part done a year ago. Now, Now it's time to do it. That there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. Verse 12, for if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one doesn't have. Verse 13, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by inequality. So he's saying, I'm not saying we're going to take from you guys and you be burdened and take on this debt so these other guys can have an abundance. Um, Also may supply your lack that there may be 
and equality. This isn't socialism, but he's saying these guys have a need right now. You might have a need later. As it is written, verse 15, he who gathered much had nothing left over and he who gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. Verse 17, for he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout the churches. Anybody know who he's talking about there? It's a trick question. I don't know who he's talking about there. There's all kinds of speculation on who it is, but the scriptures don't tell us. But you remember when Paul was first talking about this offering, he was saying, hey, don't, we want to be above board. We want everything wide open. So if your church is giving, send somebody with it. So there's a witness. So it was one of those guys that the, the church has agreed should um, be there for oversight and accountability. Verse 19, it says, And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us um, with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself, and to show you a ready mind, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift, which is administered by us. Uh, verse 21, providing honorable things, not only um, in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about you, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So he's saying Titus isn't just some guy showing up saying, hey, Paul sent me, let me have it. You know, I'm going to take this. But he's, he's vouching for him. Therefore, show to them, verse 24, and before the churches, the proof of your love and, your bo- and our boasting on your behalf. Paul's saying, I've been bragging about you guys. And, and Titus is one of them that I've been talking about your generosity and what you said you were going to do. So he's coming. And then we get to chapter 9. And when we get to chapter 9, um, there are some additional principles of giving that we find in chapter 9. And we'll go, it's a short chapter. We'll go through it really quick. I promise. Um, at the end of that chapter, from I think verse 12 on, there's some principles there. And I'll just I'll kind of give them to you. And then you'll see them in the scripture. And if you're in a growth group, I actually printed them out on your homework. So if you don't get them down, um, you'll have them there. You'll find more abundance in giving than keeping. Right? It's better to give than it is to receive because giving bears its own harvest in season. That there will be blessing. It's not always financial, a hundredfold back. You know, but sometimes there's spiritual blessing And there's other blessings along with that. God loves it when his people give freely and cheerfully, but disdains begrudging gifts, right? So if if you come to church and you got 20 bucks in your pocket and you say, well, I was going to get a pizza. Uh, uh, Pastor's looking at me. I better throw it in. Don't, you know? God, God doesn't want that. I actually heard a story. I don't know if it's true or not, so I shouldn't repeat it, but I will. Um, about Billy Graham and Billy Graham sitting in the church service and the offering plate comes and Billy reaches in his pocket and he goes to put a bill in that he thought was a $20 bill. And, and as he looks and it's leaving his hand or he sees it as he's dropping it in, it's 100 
that he had for something else. It's Billy Graham. You can't dig in there and make change, you know. Or, oops, I didn't mean to do that. But it, so he, he let it go. He gets out to the car and he tells his wife, Ruth, he's like, you know, I, I didn't really mean to do that. I meant to put a 20 in the plate, but I accidentally dropped 100. And she said, well, the real unfortunate thing is you only got credit for the 20 in heaven. You know, like that was his heart. That was what he intended to give. So there's no extra blessing for show or anything like that. God doesn't want your begrudging gifts. Um, number three, there are no needs that you have which God cannot completely supply. Um, giving blesses others, but also stretches our faith to a greater trust in God. You know, that personal growth, that, Lord, I, I, I trust you for this. And, and I hope that's what you guys have seen as a church here, as different needs have come up. Number four, one of the qualities of godliness is the value of helping others over hoarding possessions for ourselves. You know, God has not blessed you financially or given you a job that pays more than your neighbors so that you can accumulate stuff or that you can have fancy stuff. He's put you in that position to be used for the Lord, for the kingdom, to help others. So chapter 9, verse 1. Um, now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me, um, unnecessary is what Paul's saying, for me to write to you, for I know your willingness. Like, I'm sure I don't even have to do this, church. I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians that Achaia was ready a year ago and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest your boasting of you should be in vain in this respect that as I said, you may be ready lest some of the Macedonians come to me and find you unprepared. We, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. So Paul's saying, Guys, you said a year ago you were going to do this. And, and I'm sending these guys to come and do the collection so that when the Macedonians come, it's not, oh yeah, well, let's, let's see what we can scrape together, you know, and, and give out of what's left over. But that you guys committed to doing this, you prayed about this, and um, Paul doesn't want to be ashamed. Doesn't want them to feel ashamed. Doesn't want an offering to be out of compulsion or manipulation. Verse 5, he says, Therefore... I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not of grudging obligation. The idea of, oh, that's right. Let's see what we can gather. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So, here's that verse again, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Verse 9, as it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So Paul's talking about um, as we give, uh, say you've got an ear of corn. Or, I mean, I know farmers plant huge quantities of seed, but if you've got an ear of corn and that's the seed that you have to plant, if you want to peel off 
10 kernels of corn and put that in the ground, you're going to get a return on that. You know, you get every, one, one thing brings a stalk, and on that stalk has multiple ears. But are you going to give grudgingly? You know, and get 10 stalks back? Or are you going to give all that you have and, and get a bigger return? The thing I don't like about preaching about giving is our minds all go to money. So the, the Old Testament tithe was what? Tenth. How much of you does the Lord want? All. If the Lord has all of you, all of this other stuff is going to work out. The cheerfulness in giving, the amount, all that. Lord, this, everything I have is yours. So there's a need over here. If you can use me there, Lord, use me. Uh, where are we? Verse 11, please. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God, for the administration of the service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. That means uh, just like so many things. I know the roof is like current, but there's been needs in families here that you guys, the Lord has used to meet those needs. And when they do, they are rejoicing and thanking God and glorifying God for that, but also thanking the Lord for you. Lord, I don't know who gave that or who, who provided for this, but would you, would you bless them? So grateful for them. That's what he's talking about. The administration of the service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but is also abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God, for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Amen. Two chapters. We haven't done that in a long time. This is why. Anyways, um, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Um, like you said, Lord, I, I believe in this church we've been blessed. I, I preach into the choir, but Lord, we're faithful to read what the word says. And Lord, if there's any here that um, are struggling with this, I pray, Lord, that... Um, They'll ask, they'll seek you on what they should do, how you'd have them use this. And Lord, if, uh, if anyone's been challenged by the, the idea of lack of faith or challenged personally in um, where their treasure is, Lord, I, I pray that you'd speak to them clearly on those things. And Lord, we're grateful that you've made us a part of a giving body that uh, is blessed by one another and um, blesses you. Lord, and, and as a testimony to this community. Lord, we don't have to beg. Uh, we don't worship a, a bankrupt God. So thank you for your provision, Lord, and for your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.